Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. You heard the man. You are here at the Cashflow Guys Podcast. My name is Tyler Chef. We're about to learn to earn. Saddle up. Get ready. Today, we are going to be talking about why getting a deal just doesn't matter when I come back. I bet you thought I've lost my mind. Maybe I've been drinking beer sitting here in the studio. Maybe I bumped my head. If I lost my mind, what's going on? Am I crazy? Getting a deal doesn't matter. Tyler, how are you ever supposed to escape the rat race if you don't get a deal? Understand this. What's a deal? Okay. We got to start there. Most people that I run across lately are so focused on getting a deal. If they're just, they're, they're itching. It's in there. They're going crazy. Like, I got to get a deal. I got to get a deal. I got to get a, 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 but they don't even know what a deal was. If it come up and slapped them in the face, they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what their investor identity is. They have had taken no time understanding what their own criteria is. They think if it's presented to them, it's clearly gonna be a deal. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not what it's all about. This is when the rubber meets the road. This is what you stop what you're doing right now and think about it define getting a deal. What does that mean for you? And here's the thing. There's no wrong answer. A deal for you could be an amazing opportunity on a great flip. Frankly, I think you need your head examine. That's a whole other story, but it could be getting an amazing deal on a multifamily apartment building because there's a massive value add opportunity. Let's say that geez, you paid retail, but tomorrow you can, you can change over all the tenants and, and make a killing. Maybe getting a great deal is being in the path of progress, finding a property, getting under contract, closing on it, waiting your turn, and it's in the path of progress, and you're going to make an absolute windfall when something happens in the future. Maybe you're speculating a little bit. Who knows? But the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, you got to identify what a deal looks like to you. You got to identify what these things, what your own criteria is. If you don't know, when when people start crowing about cap rate and this, that, and the other thing, and it makes me start wondering, it's like, do you really, I mean, are you really using metrics? And what the world says, what society says to determine whether or not you're profitable, that could be a little dangerous, okay? But understand this, most investors, they're not ready for a deal because they lack the skills and the discipline to handle the transaction and the ownership in the first place. What's that mean? That means you got to first be good at managing money, especially if you're taking somebody else's money into the deal. You got to make sure that you've got a good handle on what's going on with the income and expenses. And unfortunately, a lot of folks don't do that. They don't take the time to do the math and figure out exactly what works for them. They don't take the math to figure out exactly what all the costs are, right? They don't understand that, you know, you're going to have a management expense. And if you, you can figure 10% on some of these smaller properties all day long, but at the end of the day, it's probably going to cost you 15%. Why? Well, because your phone's going to ring at some point. And on the other end, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a, you're going to hear the property manager and he's going to be like, well, guess what? Um, the plumbing's backed up and it's Saturday and I got to get a guy out there. It's just letting you know. And guess what? A property manager that's worth their salt will charge you for that phone call. They should. And if you don't pay them, well, you're doing yourself and your own investment a disservice. Don't fall into that trap. Don't be that cheap landlord or landlady that just expects everybody to do things for them and have this tribe of people doing work for you. And you're being cheap because mainly you haven't allowed for all the expenses. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the one thing you can't, I got to make sure you don't do is you cannot lie to yourself. Too many investors do this time and time again. I've gone on rants about this before. I'm not going to do it again, but you got to be good at managing money. And that begins with understanding exactly where your expenses are. 
Be good at being diligent and breaking down all your expenses. Understanding how much is management? How much is the electric bill? Wait, stop, Tyler. There is no electric bill. The tenant pays the electric. Yeah, well, the tenant doesn't always live there. And when the tenant moves out, guess who's got to turn the electric back on? And if you're anywhere in the south and it's 200 degrees out and 600% humidity, you let that air conditioning off for a couple of days, you're going to have a moldy mess in your hands. So you need to turn the air conditioning on. If you're up north and you've got, I don't know, you've got uh, snow, it's cold, the pipes will freeze. You know, that, that that causes problems. Maybe you don't want the gas turned off because you don't want the lines to depressurize. If, you, if you've got uh, natural gas or propane or something like that in the building, you want to make sure that line stays pressurized. The minute you depressurize these systems, folks, you're going to cause the, the seals to fail. I just don't mean this to be an episode about property management by any means, but it's about understanding the cost of owning and maintaining a property. You've got to keep that on, on task. you got to be good at, at managing the expenses before we even get into what's in it for you because I tend to get caught up for me in what's in it for me. What's in it for Tyler? I'm looking at that bottom line. Is that always a bad thing? Absolutely not. It makes me a greedy capitalist pig, but I'm okay with that. And that's what gives me my freedom is the fact that I've done my homework, right? I understand that I make my money on day one. I make my money when I buy. That said, I can't really trust the seller or the listing agent, or in some cases, even the buyer's agent to give me all the information I need to make good decisions. I have to do some diligence on my own. I have to pick up the phone and make phone calls. I have to make sure that the rent is what they say it is. How do I do that? I make sure that I get the proper documentation to prove that. I get an estoppel letter, have, have the tenant sign it, have the title company, a closing attorney, draft that up so I know what all my expenses are. I have to be able to forecast to some degree what's going to happen down the road. For example, you buy a building, you buy a property. Let's say it doesn't need a roof today, but let's say it needs a roof five years from now. They call that capital expenditures. So let's say, for example, that roof costs $10,000. You're thinking to yourself, well, that's not a whole lot of money, but you know, if your cash flow from a property is only a couple thousand dollars a year and your roof is 10 grand, that could be several years worth of cash flow. So how do you allow for that? Well, when we start, ladies and gentlemen, when we're negotiating our deal, we need to get some sort of concessions or credits for the roof. Okay. We negotiate that up front and then we can allow for that. So let's say, for example, the roof will cost 10 grand. Me personally, I'm going to automatically say it's, it's, I'm going to fight for 15. In my head, I'm going to tell Tyler, Tyler's brain, that roof is going to be $15,000. Now the seller is going to push back and the seller is going to push back and say, it's not $15,000, it's 10. Like we both know, Mr. Seller, you can't get it done for $10,000. You may get a quote for $10,000, and I'm sure I can get a quote for $10,000. However, they're always going to find something, wood rot and whatever, and that's a problem. So I have to allow for that in my calculation and fight back. So now you've gone back and forth a little bit, right? When I say fight, I don't mean put them in an arm in a, in a headlock or something like that, but push hard to get your negotiations and your credits up front. Get your good deal worked out up front. Figure out the cost of what's going to what it's going to cost you to operate this thing, let's say in repairs and maintenance for the next five years. And whatever you think you should pay, knock those things off of there and start negotiating that way. So now you really do have a deal because 12 months after you close on the thing, you're not shelling out the money for a, for a new roof. Or if you are, you can at least know that you've negotiated that up front, that you've made the arrangements to get that done up front, right? And that's a very important thing. That's going to save you a ton of money, okay? You got to learn, recognize a deal. You first got to have some financial intelligence. You're like, well, how do I, I have financial intelligence. I can, I can balance my checkbook. And then some of you are saying, well, what checkbook? I, it's online, right? Well, it starts with reading books, right? The little purple books, as I call them. The, the Rich Dad series. Go on my website, cashflowguys.com. 
forward slash books. Got all kinds of books in the on there that I recommend that help you understand how to lay out the opportunity so they make sense. They put you in the right mindset. These aren't my books. My book's coming, trust me. But they lay out the mindset so you can get focused on what you should be thinking about, not getting all broken up about what you shouldn't be worried about. Now to the smart people. This goes out to the smart people. The smart people that plan to buy and hold, please focus on income versus expenses and keep it simple. Now, by keep it simple, I don't mean omit things that you know should be in there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about let's not worry about all these fancy things like IRR and cap rate at this stage of the game because though you start depending on those as a, as a decision maker, as something that impacts your decision, you're going to get yourself in hot water. So forget about cap rate. Forget about IRR for right now. Focus on the basic income versus expenses and keep it simple. Keep the formula fancy formulas out of the equation. Keep it simple. Just do simple math. If you're speculating, notice I didn't say smart people. I said if you're speculating, flipping and finding your own recent comparable sales, understand what FHA guidelines are. And you're thinking, why would I need to do that, Tyler? Well, if you plan to sell this property and it's a lower end property, say it's under $250,000, chances are the buyer is going to have an FHA mortgage. So that said, you're going to need to be looking at things like comparable sales that are within a quarter mile of the origin, if that applies in a city, if, it, if they're within 90 days, recency the sales. And if they're not, then you have to go outside of that. I'm not going to spend the whole episode talking about appraisal guidelines, but you need to understand where you need to be when you buy so that you can, and, and that said, you have to use a relevant comparable sales. Don't miss that number. If you are off on that number starting out, everything snowballs after that. So if you buy a property to flip and you use the wrong comps, trying to make the numbers look better so you don't have to negotiate as hard or you feel better about yourself, or you can go to the gym and tell all your buddies what a great deal you got. Well, you're going to be paying the piper on the tail end of that thing. It's going to come back and bite you in the short. So don't do that. Don't make those silly mistakes. Be diligent when you're, if you're using comps and this is, and again, guys, you're only using comps if you're going to flip. Okay. If you're a buy and hold investor, who cares what Jimmy did down the street? Okay. You can't use comparable sales as any sort of a metric that makes any sense whatsoever when you're buying a rental. Because if the guy down the street bought a rental property that rents for six fifty a month and that knucklehead paid $150,000 for it. That guy's losing money. Are you going to compare your deal to his? Oh, well, it worked for Jimmy, so I'm going to go do it. No, that's how you step in the seller's quicksand, as Larry Harbold says. Instead, pull your head out of your, out of your short. Focus on income versus expenses, right? Second part of this I want to talk about today is why asking price doesn't matter. Now, I'm going to begin this with a very to-the-point statement that some of you are going to get offended about. So I'm going to give you a second before you get offended to get the Kleenex out, right? Call your attorney. Get your attorney listening in, okay? I'm going to go, yep, this is on, okay? Your attorney's listening. You got your Kleenex. It's all good. I swear I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain for those of you that are preachers and the holy rollers that listen to the show. This is all about the special snowflakes. I know you guys are out there. Okay. I know you special snowflakes are out there. So some of you now 99.9% .9 of my audience are not special snowflake, but I do have that one, one tenth of a percent that are special snowflake. So for you, special snowflake, I hear you out there. I know you're listening. Stop whining about advertised prices. Okay. Stop whining about what you see on Zillow, what you see in the MLS, what the wholesalers are sending you via email, what you see on Facebook marketplace. Stop whining about what you see advertised. Those are not for you. Advertised properties are never quote unquote deals. Advertised properties are for retail buyers, period. Yes, I know your wholesaler sent it to you and it's a great deal because it's 70% of their inflated ARV. Okay. ARV is dead. ARV was hit by a truck. There is no ARV. Unless you determine what after repair value is, it doesn't exist. So forget about old ARV. 
and focus on what matters. Focus on getting yourself, ladies and gentlemen, in front of decision makers. Until you can get yourself in front of decision makers, I can tell you right now, deals are not going to happen. That's right. That means if you buy a deal from a realtor, if you buy a deal from a wholesaler, if you buy a deal from anybody, an auction house, don't even get me started on auction houses. If you buy it from anybody except for the principal in the transaction, the actual owner, not the guy that has 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 ownership or control, or I have an ownership interest, or I've got effective use in all these different ridiculous terms that really mean I'm a wholesaler. None of that makes any sense, okay? You're not going to get the most amazing deal on the planet unless you're sitting in front of the seller. It's just not possible because the wholesaler is, frankly, the wholesaler doesn't even know to ask the questions in the first place. They're just trying to make their $5,000 or whatever they think they're going to make this month. Now, there are a few exceptions. There's always some awesome wholesalers out there in every market. But let's be honest. Wholesalers are, are, are in a lot of cases, worse than realtors. They're actually worse at this than realtors are in most cases. Now, I know I've said contrary in the past, but boy, I've run into some dumb ones lately. Realtors, again, they, realtors, they have a license, okay? They have a, a, a code of ethics that says they're not required to share certain information with you unless the seller says it's okay. So they're not, they have no incentive in a lot of cases in their brain. They have no incentive to share this information with you. You come to me and I'm a listing agent. You start asking me questions about the seller's motivation. You're going to get a stone wall. I'm not going to say a, a word because I'm out looking for what's, what I feel is best for the seller. And I've already had a conversation with the seller to determine what they feel is best for them. And that's my rule and guide. That's all I care about. I don't care about what makes you feel special. Understand that. I only care about protecting my seller's interests, which means I'm not going to put my seller at a disadvantage. I'm not going to give you that information. The only way you're going to get that information from a seller on a property that Uncle Tyler's listing is you better be nice to me and go sweet talk me into having you sit down with the seller and I to have a conversation, right? Now, will I let you do that alone? No, because I don't trust you because I'm not going to let you disadvantage the seller. I will sit there with the seller and assist them in negotiating the transaction because that's my job. So understand that. Now, a lot of agents won't allow it at all because they're afraid you're going to steal their customer, which I would never understand. That doesn't make any sense. never will make any sense to me. Or in some rare instances, maybe the seller is shy and they just refuse to let, allow it to happen. But I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, back in the day, that's how deals were done. You know, up in New York State, they do deals where the attorneys call each other and negotiate. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard on, my, on, on the planet. Two attorneys that are playing golf yesterday are negotiating a house deal the following day. Talk about not having the client's best interest at heart. Oh, I suppose I'll get a lawsuit out of that. Hey, Sean, if you're listening, warm it up, brother. They're coming. Anyway, uh, Sean's my one of my attorneys. Ladies and gentlemen, until you can get yourself in front of those decision makers, once again, deals will not happen. So... How do we solve the problem? Well, gee, we say, hey, if you absolutely insist, ladies and gentlemen, on finding and dealing with a listed property, okay, when you're working with a listed property, what you're saying is this, I understand that I'm doing this the most difficult way possible. I understand that because I'm lazy, because I'm taking the easy way out, I'm about to go fail and therefore waste my time and waste everybody's time in the transaction. That's sometimes that's how I feel when people call me and say, and then the agent said, I'm like, why are you dealing with a listed property? Listed properties are generally not for investors unless you are good at building rapport with the agents and you can sit, get them to be okay with, and I know this isn't the way it should be, but this is reality. If you can be okay with sitting down with them and getting them to be okay with having a conversation with the seller, you, the listing agent and buyer's agent, if you have one in the seller, that's how you get it done, guys. You can ask all the questions in the world to the listing agent. They're probably not even going to communicate them to the seller. And if they do, I guarantee you the answers will get messed up because that's human nature, ladies and gentlemen. If I tell you that the car is black and somebody else, and you and you tell that to somebody else and somebody else tells it to somebody else, 
by the time that story comes back, they'll, they'll just call me a racist. I'm like, I was talking about a Chevy, not a person. What are you talking about? Because people, if you give them, it, people communicate story to story to story. Been on Facebook lately, ever watch the news? Things get twisted. Granted, those things are usually intentional because people are bored. They're drama queens. That's a whole other story. But realistically, folks, even when people aren't bored and they're not trying to be drama, drama queens, this is what goes on. Okay? So understand that high prices are not the wholesaler's fault. They're not the realtor's fault. And they're not the seller's fault. This is a mindset thing. I want you to think about this. High prices are your fault. Why are they your fault? Because you let price distract you. Because you let price distract you. See, my agents, I supervise a team of agents, and we represent investors that buy and hold, buy and hold, and that sell property. We don't care about price at all, not one bit. I could give two hoots what somebody's asking for their property. What I do know is it rents for $1,500 a month, which means it's only going to justify X amount of, um, of money from my buyer. That's the period end. Here's why. I'm not going to drag my buyer through the mud, getting pre-approved, getting inspections done, doing appraisals just to find out what I already know. It's not going to appraise. And when that happens, everybody looks at the ceiling and looks at the floor and looks left and looks right and plays stupid like, wasn't me, I don't know what you're talking about, not my fault. The only person that loses there, ladies and gentlemen, is you because you're the one that shelled out the money for appraisals, inspections. You wasted the realtor's time. You wasted your own time, which is even more important because you didn't follow one simple rule. Focus on the income and expenses, verify the facts, have conversations with a seller, look them in the eye. You're thinking, well, I can't look them in the eye because I buy in, in Memphis and, and I'm in Florida. Well, here's the thing, a little thing, it's a little cool little tool, it's called Zoom. Z-O-O-M, Zoom. It's live video chat. You can actually have a conversation with them on a phone, on a computer, on anything. They can go to the library and do it. The bottom line is, get out and figure out a way to get in front of them. Have a conversation. You got to focus more, please please focus more on the every month payday and the long-term payday instead of trying to get rich in the next couple of years. You're not going to get rich overnight. It's not possible. You can flip houses. Eventually, you lose your tail. I talked about that on Blue in the Face. Instead, focus on solving problems. I've said this a million times and focus on what you need. Focus on what your financial friends need. Stop making decisions by decisions that have an expiration date on them. Okay? Don't, don't buy property going, and in two years, we'll do this We'll buy it. We'll make a bad deal now so that later it'll be a good deal. I got news for you. If you do a bad deal now, you just did a bad deal. The end. There's no, it's going to be a good deal later. It's a crappy deal now. It's a crappy deal later. That's just reality. So stop kidding yourself. You negotiate a great deal now and you make it live off the cash flow. That's how you build wealth, ladies and gentlemen. The only way, please understand this, the only way to sit to retire is to secure multiple streams of passive income. What that means is building a business. This is why I did the, I, I put together the, the Mailbox Money Mastermind. And now we're underway. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not too late to join that, by the way. We have a recorded version of that that's got all kinds of bonus materials. You can get in that. We've got a payment plan available. Even if you've got only a couple hundred bucks to your name, you can get started with the Mailbox Money Mastermind. Believe it or not. You want to know more about that? Go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com. Read the sheet. Everything's in there. The payment plan, the whole nine yards. Anybody can take advantage of this. I purposely priced it this way so that anybody can take advantage of it so you're not out there buying bad deals. The reality of this is, the reality is, is this, most investors I meet are literally broke. They're broke and they think that real estate will fix the problem. I got news for you. It's not the case. It's not the case at all. That's why in our first two weeks in the mastermind, I teach you how to get your money right, how to get your mind and your money right. Mind and your money. If you get your mind and your money right, you'll be good to go. If you don't, you're screwed. No great deal in the world is ever going to help you. You're screwed. You're done. 
you're finished. Just get over it. You're going to lose money. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. Remember this. Please don't forget this. You work the first five months of every year, January through May, just to pay taxes, and that's a fact. Understand this last final point before I let you go. If you don't acquire cash flowing assets in the very near future, you will likely never be able to retire. I'm going to say that again. If you do not figure out how to acquire cash flowing assets in the very near future, you will likely never be able to retire. That is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. How do you learn how to do that? You go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com and you pull the trigger. I've priced it to the point to where there are no excuses. Anybody can get started in this and anybody can get rolling in the right direction. If you don't acquire those cash flowing assets, you're not going to retire. And frankly, I'm not going to support you. So there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. I hope you found some value here. We'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.